My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, excited to get to be with you today. We are wrapping up our Knowing God series. Like Jamie was saying, next week we start a new series. It's going to be really amazing for, for the next few months, so make sure you're here and get to get in on, on all that is coming in the next series. But today we, we wrap up knowing God and what it means to kind of get to know Him and how it impacts the way that we live in our relationships. If you'll go with me to Mark chapter 4, which is the same spot that Pastor Jamie was in last week, we're going to start out of that story and kind of launch into the next story. It was so good last week to get to be together, one service, celebrating, seeing the goodness of God across those baptisms, ringing the bell and everything, and it's great to get to party with you. But in, in the message part of Matthew chapter 4, Jamie told about how Jesus calmed the storm, right? And so this happens right after Jesus has been teaching and preaching uh, in, in the same spot where the Sermon on the Mount happens. This is not that same kind of message, a different time, a little bit later in his ministry, but he's, he's been on the, on the seashore there teaching and preaching and and the crowds are gathered and people are coming his name is out and people are traveling to come see him and Jesus in this moment inspired by the Holy Spirit saying there's something else to do leaves the crowds behind right this is what He's at the moment where, like, anybody who's trying to gather a group to become somebody, to, to start something new, you want the crowd. You need the people with you. Jesus has them there and says, it's time to go. It's time to leave the crowd for one person. Right? Mark 4 and verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind they took him along just as he was in the boat. Holy Spirit prompts Jesus to say, all right, you're going to go away from the crowd to one person. But they don't go just to like one random regular person. You need to understand who this guy is that they're leaving the crowds for. Now, I grew up in church, and I didn't grow up here. Uh, we started coming to this church when I was in high school. But before we moved down to Florida, uh, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and went to a mega church up there called Southeast Christian. Tens of thousands of people every weekend. And one of the big things that Southeast would always do was in Easter season, they did uh, plays around the life of Jesus, and not like little kid Sunday school plays. Like, I'm not saying that the late 90s in Louisville was equal with Broadway, but it was for what they had. I mean, it was an amazing, high quality play that they would put on about the life of Jesus. And this story was in there. They changed the location a little bit. They tied it in with Luke chapter 4, where Jesus heals a demon possessed person right in the crowds. And so that's how I was introduced to this guy is, uh, and, and the way that I kind of remember it, is the scene on the stage at Southeast is, is basically the opening scene of Beauty and the Beast. I promise, this will all tie together, I promise. <laughs> Where, like, Belle's walking around singing about bread and reading books and everything, and the, the crowd's all, like, singing about how she's just a little bit off. Like that moment where it's just like everybody's in the marketplace and life is happening 
and, and everything's around. And, and in, in Southeast, Jesus is there, and he's healing people in the market with everybody around. And it's this really, like, bright and happy and cheery moment in the play, in the story, as you see Jesus at work. And then, as any good play does, it shifts very quickly, because off the side of one of the, from one of the side entrances onto the stage, runs this strong, hulking man covered in just a Tarzan loincloth, basically. I mean, all right, I, I was like 10, okay? This is how I remember it. It might have been a little different. I don't know, but this is how I remember it. And he doesn't just, like, run out on stage and, like, join the dance and song. He's got chains draping off of his arms, and he comes out, and they have somehow voice-modulated his voice to be the creepiest, darkest, loudest-sounding Jesus as he comes out in the middle of this, and 10-year-old me is now, like, hiding behind the chair, because, like, this came out of nowhere. This guy, like, Jesus doesn't cross the sea to go get a regular, good-looking, perfect kind of normal guy. He crosses to go get the worst of the worst. That joke really doesn't fit in this message. It just kind of happened, and I'm okay with it. They leave the crowd because the Holy Spirit says, go. And they go through the storm that, Jesus, that Jamie talked about last week, that Jesus calms, just to get to one guy who is so different. Look at this. They went at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Again, you've got to put the flesh on the words of the Bible. You can't just read this. This guy is all of that weight and intensity and scariness that I felt as a 10-year-old that you've got to figure out how to feel. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore not even with the chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons off the feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This guy is tortured by demons. His life is not his own anymore, and he has been left and abandoned by everyone else, by anybody around him. He's been sent away. He lives in the tombs. He lives amongst death. He lives in caves. He lives by himself, naked, Luke tells us, just every bit of craziness. If, if you were walking down the street and you saw this guy walking towards you, this is where you cross the road and walk on the other side. This is where in every moment you could, you try to protect yourself to stay away from this kind of guy. And Jesus says, we're going to leave the crowds, go through a brutal storm, and go meet this guy. And he does that over and over and over in your life and my life. That he doesn't look for people who are already put together and moving closer to him and moving in the right direction. Jesus looks for those who we would think don't fit in. This guy is not Jewish, probably. The region that he's in is not a Jewish region. He's probably not grown up hearing the Old Testament stories and reading the Bible and, and looking or having any expectation for Jesus, the Messiah, to come be at work. 
He's not the right race. He's not the right religion. He's clearly under demonic pressure and oppression, and so he's not mentally able to just have a normal life anymore. Physically, he is scarred and broken and gashed and beaten, and in every way, this guy is wrong. Except Jesus says, I want to go see him. I want to go be with him. And I'm so thankful that he does, because in our worst moments, he says the same about you and I. He says the same about you and I, that he wants to be with us and care for us and bring healing to us. Verse 6, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So just a little nerdy aside on that, that phrase there, right? J Jamie told you last week that there's no chapter divisions in the Bible. The end of the storm story where Jesus calms the storm, the end in, in verse uh, 41, the disciples look at each other and they say, they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey them. The story keeps going. Jesus comes on shore. The first time somebody else speaks is this guy answering that question. The disciples said, who is it that can stop the storm? The demon-possessed man says, Jesus, son of the most high God. He answers the question, who can stop the storm? Jesus can. He says, in God's name, don't torture me. Verse 8, for Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Legion would be like the Roman army. The Roman army occupies this entire territory, and a legion is a group of Roman soldiers. It can be as many as 6,000 soldiers. It can be a lot less. We don't know necessarily exactly what this means, except for this poor guy is tortured day and night by dozens, hundreds, thousands of demons that are taking over his world, taking over his life, and they are destroying him. You know, I know in our culture here in America, we don't really see a lot of this. We don't really deal with a lot of public, demonic oppression issues. But that doesn't mean that this isn't something that still happens today. Now, we label things a lot with psychology, and there are certainly a lot of real issues that people face today. And I'm not saying that everybody who has certain psychological issues has demonic oppression as well, but there are both things. And medicine is, is really helpful and really important, but the real healing that we need to find is in Jesus. This story is really uh, impactful for me. I know uh, for some of you, I'm, I'm from a, a different generation, and, and so I've grown up knowing people who cut themselves and, and, and do some of these things that this guy is doing out in the caves, and I, I've, you know, walked through life with friends or, or when I was leading middle school students who would cut themselves, and, and you deal with scars and, and just such pain that can come, whether it's from emotions or life or from the demonic. And we can't shy away from those things. 
Jesus sees you in those moments, if you've ever dealt with that or have family or friends there, and he brings the healing that is most needed there. Verse 11 says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out. This guy who has been tortured for who knows how long, years at least, finally has healing as Jesus removes these demons from him. They came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. It's just this insane moment where God heals this poor guy. He set out. This was his mission to find this man. And he set out and he heals him. What's interesting is, is, uh, is two things. One, he finds this guy alone, naked, amongst the tombs, abandoned by his family. And if you fast forward the tape, you'll see Jesus in that same space. Not the same physical location, but at his death, Jesus is alone, beaten, naked, chained to a cross, if you will, and abandoned by his followers. It's his death that brings us the hope for a future and brings us the hope for healing. Other thing that jumps to my mind when I read about those pigs and that, that kind of story there is John 10.10. 10. Because the demons, even though they're getting cast out, they say, we want to still do damage. If we're going to have any level of control here, we're going to cause pain. And John 10 says that the thief, the enemy, the demons come to steal, kill, and destroy. And the demons say, even if we can't take this guy's life anymore, we're going to go cause more issues somewhere else. This is how we can say, like we know that Hurricane Ian wasn't sent from God, because what did it do? It came to steal, kill, and destroy. But at the end of John 10, 10, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, I have come that you would have life and have it to the fullest. Such a difference here. Jesus shows up to this guy and says, what the enemy has taken from you, what he has stolen and tried to kill and destroy your life, I am going to show up and bring hope and healing and all the future that you could ever want. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. They run back to their bosses and say, hey, just so we're clear, we didn't kill your pigs. We're going to go blame Jesus right now, okay? That's, that's what they do. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they come out. That's in the, the whole town comes out. At least hundreds of people, maybe more. Now a crowd gathers. Not to come celebrate Jesus. They're actually going to tell him to leave. They're going to threaten him and fight him. But they don't see Jesus first. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons but they didn't see him in the same way that they'd always seen him. Now he's met Jesus. He has found the healing that he needed. He's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. You can't move past that verse too quickly. It's so good. It's so good. First of all, just practically, where do you get the clothes from? Where, how, Jesus heals this guy and then turns around and says, Peter, jacket, John, 
give me your pants, this guy needs some clothes. They come out, this, this guy is now part of the group. Some of the disciples are having to figure out how to fix their own wardrobe. They've had to give up their stuff. But this guy has been clothed. He's been loved on. Jesus meets our needs practically when we're in them. And now he's caring for this man who's now part of the group. He's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. He hadn't been in control of himself. He hadn't been able to have a clear thought and peace from the storm in so long. But Jesus, on the other shore, preaching to thousands of people, goes through the storm, calms the physical storm so that he can come find this man and calm the emotional and mental storm inside of him. And whatever storms you ever face in your life, Jesus wants to come to you and bring you healing. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened about the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. What an amazing heart. This guy says, Jesus, let me come with you. I'm going to leave. He doesn't have much anymore, but now he has at least the prospect of new life. Right? Jesus has given him a new life. He has hope to go back home, to go back to his people, to go find his family, to go be with those he once knew. I mean, he probably has nieces and nephews that he's never met. He has relationships that he can go back home and repair and find, and maybe he's got his own kids. Maybe he's got new grandkids, opportunities to work and have a new life. And he says, Jesus, I'm going to leave all that behind, and I'm going to go with you. I want to go serve you and follow you. And what a good heart this guy has to say, Jesus, I want to come. I want to be where you are. I want to go with you. But look at Jesus' response. In verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And it's a switch here. He's come to know Jesus and his response to say, Jesus, I want to go. I want to be with you. I want to be where you are. I want to stay with you. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to go home. You're going to go back. And throughout this series, as we're talking about knowing God and how it's a transformational experience in our lives, then what that means is that knowing God can't just be a thing we do on Sundays in church where we worship and hear a message and get smarter, if you will, and, and enjoy the presence of God and, and linger there and just receive from Him and encounter the Spirit. It has to be something that doesn't just sit here, but that goes out into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our jobs, and into our everyday lives. You don't actually know God if it doesn't change the way that you live around the people that you know. You don't actually know God if it doesn't change the way your conversations happen around the water cooler at work. Because when we meet God, it impacts everything about us. And Jesus then sends us out to go and share that story. To go and share not 
this, this demon-possessed guy is not going back home and talking about, look how clean I am now, look how good I am now, look at the new clothes that I've got, and gets a job and then says, look at what I can do. Jesus says, I want you to go home, back to your people, and tell them what? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is the best story that you or I will ever get to tell. This is the best thing that we can ever do in our relationships. It's not about, can I answer somebody's difficult questions? When we talk about going out to other people, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of throw out some fears of being afraid of saying the wrong thing or, or not having the answer to the question or, or giving off a bad witness or a bad example. But Jesus says, listen, all you've got to do is go home to your people and then tell them what God's done in your life. That's the calling. That's what Jesus says for this guy to do, and and that's what he extends to you and I. Is this calling to go? Yeah, we've got to worship. We've got a small group, Bible study, relationship, grow and know. But if we never go and share, then we're missing a huge part of who God has called us to be. This is in our our membership and discipleship course. We call it U-I-O, and that's an acrostic. Upward, our relationship with God, celebrating Him in worship and giving and those kind of pieces. Inward, our relationship with other people within the church, that we would have small groups and have relationships, and those things are all so important. But if you don't get the third part, then you miss it. You don't really know all there is about God because He is an outward, loving God, right? That's what he does here. He leaves the crowds to go get the least likely person. And then he flips the script. He takes this guy who's been abandoned, cast out, isn't the right race, isn't part of the right religion. And he says, he doesn't even have a name. He's unnamed here. And Jesus says, you're going to go be one of the first apostles to the Gentiles, to the people who don't have a relationship with God. This guy becomes, or or is called out to be something like a Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, who travels around and speaks about God to people who are far from him. And this is one of the first people that Jesus sends out. He says, all right, I've sought you out. Now I want you to go out and seek out others who don't know me. And that's the story that he's still giving you, or that's the role that he's still giving you and I to play, that we would take our stories to go out and share with him. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Each of our stories, they might not be as crazy and dramatic as this guy's. They probably aren't. And that's okay. My story certainly isn't. I don't have those dramatic, scary moments. I've never lived amongst the tombs and run around naked, and I certainly have not been able to break any chains that people have put on me. I, I, I don't have that, any of that crazy kind of story. But any moment of forgiveness and mercy from God is an outlandish story that shouldn't happen except for Jesus at work in our lives. 
So whatever your history was, you have this story that you can tell to people around you to encourage them into faith. You see, it's, it's a role that you get that, that we, whoever this teaching team, whoever gets to be up here and preach, we don't get these opportunities in the lives of your friends and family and coworkers. We don't go to work with you tomorrow. But wherever you go, you have the chance to share your story of God's grace in your life. And not only do you have the chance, you have, let me say it this way, the obligation to do that. Because when God calls us out, he doesn't just call us out for ourselves. He doesn't just bring us salvation so we can join his heavenly party, right? His last words in Matthew 28, he tells the disciples to go out into the nations, into the world, into their relationships. The same thing he tells this man. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is what it means to know God, that we would go out and do just this, that we would go out and share about how good God has been in our lives. It's not a knowledge thing. In fact, we have this little uh, insert in your programs. We're not going to do this now. We don't have the time for that. If you're online, it's on our website as well that you could grab this. But this is a way to kind of learn to work out your own story. Gives you a few prompts there to say the way that you tell your story is you start with before Jesus, I was what? You fill in the blanks for yourself. And then when I gave my life to Jesus, I felt what? What happened then in that moment? And then since you've known Jesus, what has become your life? And those three pieces are exactly what Jesus told this guy to go do. Go out, tell him what the Lord has done for you and the great mercy he's had on you. And you know what happens in these moments when you share this kind of story? You get to have some real conversations with friends, family, people who God highlights for you, people who he sends you to to go encounter. There are times in your life, if you pay attention to the Holy Spirit, where you just got to go do something. Something might change. Maybe your, your plans shifted, your timing shifted. You ended up at the grocery store or at the gas station at a different time than you had expected. And I wonder if in some of those moments, it's the Holy Spirit sending you to go find somebody. Sending you to go see somebody, and it doesn't have to be a big, religious, crazy moment. It's just you having eyes open to say, all right, God, I'm here. Who do you have for me to talk to? Who do you have for me to share? God, give me an opportunity to share my story, to tell about your grace and your hope. And then see what he does. See how he shows up. The uglier, the better sometimes, right? Our stories are full of weaknesses, sins, failures, flaws, and those are okay things to share in these stories because if you're talking to somebody who doesn't know God, yeah, they've got them too. If you're talking to somebody who's known God for 20 years, we've still got them too. It's okay. I, I love in my small group, I've got a, a, a couple who uh, every time they talk in our group, they always start with, you know, I don't really know that much about God, but, and it's always something really good. It's always something really encouraging. It's always something like, I don't know if this is right, they say, but this is what I've seen God do 
in my life. And I just love that, that heart, that moment of like, yes. It's not about having all the right answers. Knowing God is not about having all the right knowledge. It's about having the relationship with him. And that relationship is what enables me to care for other people. It's what enables me to share with other people. It's not about answering the questions as much as it is what Jesus tells him. Go home, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and the mercy that he's shown you. And that's it. Let me give you an example of my story here. Many of you have heard different parts of my story, different times I've preached, but just literally how to do what that sheet is. For me, when I write that out so that I could tell my story quickly, it would be this, that I, I grew up in church. I grew up around a lot of Christians, but I, I wasn't really focused in that way. I was focused on myself and how I could create the greatest future for myself, how I could make the most money so that I could retire as early as I could so that I could relax and enjoy my life. All of my dreams and vision were about myself. And then I actually started coming to this church after we moved here and I met people who had a different way of viewing things. And I met Jesus and I realized that my life could be about more than just that. I was on a path towards a really empty life. It would have had plenty of flashy things, but it would have had a lot of emptiness and brokenness. And when I found Jesus, I found that my life could be about a lot more than just myself. And he brought peace and hope and joy in place of my anxieties and drive and selfish narcissism. And I've been able to give back to people since then. Something simple like that is the start of a conversation with somebody about where their life is at, what they've seen happen in their life and what they want out of their life. I don't got any craziness in my story. I just, I didn't grow up that way. Jamie's got a little bit, you know, the, the arrests and the drugs and all of that. And, and honestly, I wish I had a little bit more of those things in my story. I do because, you know, I, I, I went, I'll say it this way. Jamie's preaching and style is exactly what I needed when I came to this church. I needed somebody that had that rough story. And that's, if your story is rough, great, go tell it because there are people around who need it. But there are also people around, if your story isn't rough, that need that other side of just, you know, you're, you, some of you related to my story. You grew up, you lived in similar ways to me. Nothing crazy, but you still needed to find God. God still tracked you down. Maybe he tracked you down inside of a successful business and brought you to him there. Maybe he tracked you down inside of a great family and everything on the outside looked good and you had the vehicles and you had the house and all of that, but God still chased you down and called you to be different and to follow him. Wherever your story is, it's a story that God has given you to share with those who are in need around you, so don't hold it back. Your story can change the lives of your friends, your family, and the people that God puts you in the path of. Try it out. Get a little bit of homework tonight, this week. 
to do that. And then find somebody to share it with. Find somebody to give your time to and say, hey, I want to share with you what God's done in my life. Because those conversations are some of the best conversations that you get to have. We're going to close. And, and uh, some of you, maybe you, you are more on that start of the story. Right in the early part here, talking about Jesus crossing the lake to go find this one guy, and you have yet to start a relationship with the Lord. You've you've been doing your own thing, and maybe you wouldn't categorize it this way, but you can look back and say, I have been living just amongst death. I've been living amongst my own ways, my own plans. It hasn't worked out. I've been doing my own thing, and Jesus has started to come and kind of knock on the door in your life. He started to come and show up and call you out, and do a little bit of, I mean, he's gotten you here, because he cares for you. Maybe it's time to make a change, and say yes, and open the door, let him into your life. So as we close in a moment of prayer, before we uh, jump into closing in worship, and and kind of a corporate prayer for for the church, I'm going to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. Right, Jesus seeks out this demon-possessed guy, and he finds hope and healing. And if you need some hope and healing in your life, then I want to encourage you to pray with me. So let's close in prayer. And you can, uh, if, if, if you've never given your life over to Jesus, just repeat a, a prayer like this with me, and you can do it just right in your thoughts. He hears you. Say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Thank you for coming after me and choosing to love and care for me. And I just ask that you would be Lord over my life, that you would take control of me, and that you would bring hope and healing and a future into my life. And it's just in a simple prayer like that where God begins to work inside of you to bring hope and healing and restoration of all that's been lost, all that the enemy in John 10 is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. Jesus shows up in a prayer like that to bring life and life to the fullest. Let's pray for everyone. Lord, just uh, as as we go out today, Lord, we give you our yes. Father, I pray for a boldness on each in this room and each that are watching online. Lord, that they would have a boldness to stand in you. Lord, to stand in the strength that you give them and to share the story that you've worked out in their lives. God, put people in our paths. Give us, give us a sensitivity to your spirit to hear you leading us away from the crowd and out to the one. Lord, even now, I pray that you just put that name, that person, and each that are here. Who to go speak to, who to go share their story with, who needs your hope around them, and then give them your boldness and strength as they go out, Jesus. Speak through them. Father, we thank you for your grace on us, and it's in your name that we